So hello and welcome to Right Hearted with me, Stuart Wakefield. I am delighted to have as my first guest, this Jazz Ampow Farr. Jazz, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Um, so I'm a number of things. Resilience Ninja is what's on my business card because that's the truth. But uh, I studied drama and teaching, both my like really strong passions. Um, I became a kind of, I was going for an actress and I was just never that good, to be honest. So I got a few auditions and got into things. But teaching is really where I followed my dream. I've also been involved in in kind of lots of different avenues of creativity, but currently I am a speaker and an author and my pre-pandemic life was traveling the world. My post-pandemic life is writing and doing virtual um, keynotes. That's great. And how did you come to be writing? <sighs> you know, it's that thing where it's like writing chooses you. I love words, right? I love my big thing is meeting people where they are. Connection is a huge driver for me. It's that that's that's my why, it's my purpose, it's about connection. And so expression and communication and enrollment is a huge part of that. So writing was always something I did. And and but my I, I never said I was a writer because I write how I talk. So that kind of gave me the out for. You know, like if you if you could play the guitar a bit and there's a guitar and you say to someone, oh, I play the guitar, and then they expect you to be Brian Ferry <laughs> and actually you can just do Ferry Jack. <laughs> it's that sort of thing. So so I always sort of said, oh, no, 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 I'm not a writer. I just I just write what I think. Um, and then after I did, is it after I did my TED Talk or before? Before I did my TED Talk, I did a, a, a kind of a, a keynote somewhere and it resonated and um, it went a bit viral. I was trending on Twitter and, and I was approached by a publisher saying, would you – we want you to write a book. I thought I was being punked. So I said, well, let's meet for a chat at, at Westfield because then if it's a joke, I could just go shopping. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I, I still went shopping. But And he said, uh, yeah, you've got a unique voice and we, we want to capture that. Um, what do you want to write about? And I was give it was too much freedom for me. What do I want to write about? So I said, well, resilience. I said, great, let's do it. And, and I got a a publishing deal which is which meant I had to then be a say I was a writer and be a writer and that was the hardest thing me I was the last one to realize that I was a writer so did you feel that what you wrote was a passion project or did you feel like you were kind of writing to market god that's a good question is is there a difference I mean I, I, I don't know where everyone else comes from but for me it's kind of like there's a one of my favorite drag queens is called Jasmine Masters, and her catchphrase is, "My name is Jasmine Masters, and I have something to say." <laughs> and I feel like we are all Jasmine Masters. <laughs> we all have something to say, but what stops us? You know that kind of like vulnerability vulture that sits on your shoulder that digs her claws in and says, "You're not good enough. Shut up. You don't do it." But we all have a story. That we all have four stories. We have the story we tell others about ourselves. We have the story that. We tell ourselves about ourselves, and they're sometimes very different. There's the story other people tell about us, and there's the unknown story, the story that you don't know and no one else knows, but it's in there. And, and I think we're all communicators. We're all writers. But but I when it, when it comes to is it passion or was it writing for an audience, for me it's always about connection. So it was always about audience, and that was a problem because – what I wanted to say, the story I wanted to tell about me and the story I told about me were two different stories. So I had to make a decision. 
whether I was going to marry the passion to the audience and be vulnerable and be, you know, scared, or whether I was going to stay and protect myself and 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 just leave my heart here and and right here. It, it was it's, it was tricky. Yeah. So you you know, writing nonfiction and obviously sharing the experiences that you've had, and I will link to your TEDx um, talk because it's, you know, it's a very, very powerful 18 minutes. But um, how did you sort of come over those barriers where you feel like you're kind of taking that step and really becoming Mm. vulnerable? Oh, yeah, huge question. Well, it's, it's interesting because one thing I learned through the, the talk I did before the talk, so I was a keynote speaker, I was traveling around talking about mainly literacy really and writing and, you know, stuff I knew. Um, and I went to a talk, I went to a, a, a conference and I was supposed to be giving a talk and I, I, I was sitting there thinking, I wonder what would happen if I just told the truth, which was insane because I have spent years crafting a persona that I that makes me feel like I'm acceptable rather than an imposter, right? (laughs) So I'm this professional, you know, persona, like I wanted to be a leader in education and all the leaders I saw were like white guys and I'm brown and female and and it's never, you know, I can't blend with this hair and this bum. So I I crafted this, like if I could just convince people I was acceptable. So I I just turned the volume down on who I was and that, that became what I did. That was a habit. And then, so I was standing there and this sort of thing, I wonder if I just told the truth. And I actually went up and asked if I could change my presentation, the slides I'd given him. And the guy said, yeah. And I just spoke from the heart. I just told the truth. <laughs> you know, I, I just said, and I was talking to educators uh, who are my particular favorite people. And I, I said, look, I know you're all exhausted and you all want extra you know, how do I get help my kids do better in GCSEs? But I've got to tell you that what you do is is more than a spreadsheet. It's more than data. It's more than exam results. And 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 actually what you do is change lives. And I should be dead and I'm not. And it's because of you. And and that, I, I kind of thought I'd do it and I'd go. But but that, that willingness to be vulnerable resonated and actually was the very thing. The very thing I was trying to hide was the very thing that gave people agency. Right. And so suddenly people were drawn into this connection with their why a reconnection with their purpose and and wanting to kind of explore it more so I was kind of along for the ride because I'm very clear that what I want to do I want the world changed yeah and I can't do it on my own I want people to meet each other where they are because I, I am a beneficiary of that and and I see what happens when that doesn't happen so that driving force means that I will put myself in a position that is uncomfortable I will I will put myself in a position where I don't, I'm like, I don't know if anyone has done this before. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going, who's with me? You, right. you know, that's because the the drive takes you there. But never do I feel comfortable or confident. Well, I know comfortable. I've got to that because I'm comfortable with failing. But never, never is it confidence that does that. Okay. So I'm thinking for somebody who's, you know, fiction writing, they're making this world, they've got their characters, they're kind of in love with them, they're writing their novel, and they start to get to that point where, you know, you become so very self-critical. And you said earlier about, you know, writers tell stories, but there are also the stories we tell ourselves. And they are, I'm not good enough. Somebody's probably already told this story better than me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get rejected. I'm not, I'm going to get terrible reviews. I'm going to get terrible sales. And then some of those things actually do happen. So are there any sort of, um, you know, in your experience, any 
ways that writers can kind of reframe their thinking to help them through those moments? Yes, yes. Uh, let's take them one at a time because okay. I've got loads for everyone. <laughs> so th- this whole thing about I'm not good enough. First of all, if if you thought you were the only person that thought that, like if you were the only person that felt that, you would be in a lab somewhere and the government would be experimenting on your brain <laughs> because that is the inner cry of every soul. It is the yeah. human condition. I'm not good enough. Like when someone says to you, I like your top, and you go, oh, it's only Primark. You know, we can't even like acknowledge the, the, the clothes we're wearing suits because we have this yeah yeah <laughs> it's true I, this is my my battle cry oh no this whole thing you know because we're constantly like deflecting and pushing things away and what happens then because we spend a lot of time in the doing the day in the moment in what we have to do now and the rest of our time we invest in worrying about things that haven't happened yet so we what we what we don't do is lift our head up and look back that's the key thing. When you look back, even looking back at, you know, the pandemic year, when you look back at what where you were and where you are now, what you've achieved, how you've survived, not just survived, how you've thrived, not just thrived, how you've actually felt alive, how you've driven change, how you've been a driver of change. Those little wins, it's really important that you mark them and stand them. I have a jar called the truth about you. And when people say something to me, I practice when I get a compliment, I practice smiling maintaining eye contact and saying thank you really it's literally that hard sometimes (laughs) because I want to go no my hair is not nice I'm a terrible writer you know (laughs) but but I practice because that jar is a list of little wins little successes and it's like failure it's like rungs on a ladder every kind of every time you acknowledge and recognize that you get to stand on that and climb a bit higher and success is at the top so it's a practice it's not like you know you're not an impo- you don't have imposter syndrome or you do is a practice and the idea isn't to get rid of imposter syndrome because if you did you'd be like you'd be Donald Trump he was totally authentic people <laughs> always was. like he was totally authentic but no zero vulnerability zero so like he couldn't even say the word weakness without spitting it out that's what real authentic being a way of being looks like with no with no vulnerability and so imposter syndrome the idea isn't to take it down so that you've got no, like I'm the best at everything and I think I'm great. The idea is to take it down from a, an impenetrable metal wall to a white picket fence so you can notice it, see it, recognise it and go, yeah, yeah, and yeah I, I recognise that and then step over yeah. it. I, I think you've really hit on something there because <clears throat> I always say to the writers that you know I, I speak to is that um, you need to be self-critical to be able to kind of objectively look at your work and say, okay, this is what isn't working. You know, this is how I can fix this. But when that becomes too much, that's when it starts to push you down and you have this, I'm not good enough feeling. Well, the interesting thing is whenever you're creating something, whether it's a a, a book, whether you're writing a play, whatever, there's only two questions you need to consider. Who's it for and what's it for? And if who it's for is for yourself, then you can never not be good enough. I mean, it's it's just if you want to write something and then criticize yourself, just go and like I don't know, take a tube ride. That's miserable. Do that instead. <laughs> you know, it's less time. But if if who is it for? If it's not for you, you are not your audience. So I used to be. I did a bit of wedding photography. I was a photographer, and um, 
I I was too expensive for myself, like for friends, because I was not aiming. Like when I when I got married, I paid six hundred quid and I had some old guy who took you know all the white people, all the black people, separated photos, um, and then and it was terrible. My album, my wedding album, was terrible. But so so I was charging a lot more. And I, what I what I really was clear about is that people like me were not my audience. They were not my clients. I knew how who I was writing for, who I was creating for, who I was photographing. Knowing who you are delivering for is really important because you you don't get to then you're not the best judge of whether it's good enough or not because it's not for you, it's for someone else. So getting clear on who it's for is important and tying that in with the that feeling of I'm not good enough. Here's the thing: good enough for what, by the way? Where's the enough? Who, who is this person who is measuring people's worth? Where is that? I've never met them. And and also we tie self worth to achievement. That's where I'm not good enough comes from. We tie in what we do with how good we are. And, and for me, like I don't have a to-do list. I realise you're going to die with an unfinished one. So I'm that's a fool's game. I'm not doing that anymore. I have a to-be list. Okay. And on that to-be list, I write how do I want to feel. And I don't write bitter, twisted, angry, hateful, obviously. <laughs> so so and, and it's 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 about getting for me, it's about getting it in alignment because that that your brain's a liar and that voice of I'm not good enough will constantly be there. So it, you can you can ignore it, you can take heart from it, or you can recognize it and go, yeah, that's a real feeling, but this is who it's for, and this is what it's for, so let's go ask them. Okay. Because then it doesn't, if you get in your head, you're finished. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's about connecting, because writing is a gift for, for, for me, it's a gift for others when you're writing a book. Okay. So thinking about others, we've written our book, we send it to some beta readers, they come back with comments, and I'll give you an example. So mm. um, my last book, sent it to a beta reader. She came back and she said, I don't like your main character. It, like the whole okay. book is focused <laughs> on that side of that relationship and that main character. And straight out of the bat, she's like, I, I don't like him. And I tried mm. to write him sort of feisty and she just saw somebody angry. So my first feedback is, oh, I'm terrible. I can't even write a person who's like me. And, you know, you start to get into all of that. Yeah, so again, yeah. we've talked about, you know, who are you writing for? I thought I was writing for that person. And she's come back and said, I don't even like your character. So do you remember Family Fortunes? Yes. You remember that show? They ask 100 people, right? And then they uh, they come back with the most popular answers, put them on the board. And like 60 people said this. You could ask 100 people who are... Who are you? You are writing for, and forty of them will dislike, you know, the pearls that the secondary character wore in the second chapter. You know, three of them will hate the fact that it's set on a beach because they want to go skiing. Right. You know, what is there's a difference between, um, like writing for someone and and the, and pleasing everybody okay. in something because that as much as is who's it's for, there's also who it's not for. Now, if someone doesn't like your main character, if everyone comes back and says, "I hate your main character," <laughs> one, you're onto something, <laughs> and two, that's feedback worth paying attention yes, to. Yes. But it's it's a it's a it really is a numbers game. And and like I remember when I read Body of Water the first time, and I. I was uncomfortable that it was the setting. It was dark and it was moody and there was waves and there was rocks. Because for me, I want to be on a beach in the sun. Like right, I just like yeah. light and sun. But the story, but I, I finished that book and wanted to be like on in, in Scotland on the cliffs. 
And that is not a place I ever want to be. I don't want to be there. If I'm going to go anywhere, it's going to be a beach and it's going to be hot. But I want, because I was so wrapped up in the characters and the story and the journey and the, do you know what I mean? So it's not so much, I can, if I only write what you like, I'm never writing from my heart. But if I write something that everyone hates, and I don't, I don't know, can you write something that everybody hates? I mean, people are weird. Someone's, there's someone to like everything you do, yeah. isn't there? I mean, I don't know that you can, and and it's, I know it's mad because I do it as well, but judging it on one person's reaction or a small number of people's reaction or, you know, someone who you thought would get its reaction. My my advice is have the conversation where you say, oh, my God, I'm awful. And then the rational you says, well, you know, it's just one person. And then the emotional you says, but it's terrible. I wanted them to like it. and They don't like it. So I've got to stop writing forever. And the rational you says that's one option or here's another one. And, and it's just that there are two there are two voices. There are more. There's more than one side to the story. But when when, when you get feedback, it comes back. The, the, only, the thing is, congratulate yourself on being brave. Because you put it out there. Mm. I mean, most people wouldn't do it because they're scared of what if I'm not good enough. Well, I can help you with that. What if I fail? There's no if. You're going to fail. Of course you are. What do you, you want to be the only human on the planet that doesn't fail? You're going to fail. You, but you're better investing your energy in when this manuscript comes back and I have negative comments. What is my strategy going to be? You're better directing your energy in how are you going to navigate that perceived failure to to use that as a failure rung on your ladder that takes you to success because failure is not an if it's a when so talking about mm, i might come back to that about when <laughs> uh, so uh my last book behind the scenes came out last july and a writer friend of mine and i self-published and a writer friend of mine said oh you know i Who's, who's actually, just to put it in this context, she is um, trying to get an agent. So she's sending her manuscript out. Right. And she said to me, you're so brave for self-publishing, I could never do that. And my first reaction was, I think you're brave for going out to a traditional publisher because I don't want to be turned down. I don't want an agent to say, this isn't good enough. And then a publisher to say, this isn't good enough. So our um, attitudes to what is brave are very different. It's true. And also, like, if you look at children's fiction, right, <clears throat> if you go into a bookshop, and I, I've done this in my kids' books, if you go into a bookshop, you know in Waterstones where they have, like, a table and it's, like, popular children's fiction, and you look at what's there. Hardly any of those characters are brown, right? Most of the books have a boy as the main character. Yeah. Um, most of them have some sort of um, storyline where there's adversity, but it's it's not too bad. And, and eventually we get through and the adults aren't usually that good. There's a real. So if David Williams pens a book for kids tomorrow, it's going on that table. Right. There are so many authors who write where their main character is brown or the story is set somewhere else. Or they, and if it doesn't fit the current mold of what sells, because it's, it's a business, then it's not going to end up on that table. But what that means it's like saying there are no writers. There are no books. Like I, t- I looked at all my kids' books. I have a library I, because I used to teach yes, in primary yes. and I've got three kids. And I mean, I I have a library. I'm, my son's got books on every wall, bookshelves. I, <laughs> there's hundreds, hundreds. Um, and I went through all of them to find who's got like a brown person on the cover. And I had seven books out of, I think it was about 560, seven books. And four of those were bears. So, 
when you say, oh, we get turned on, it's not good enough. Remember that it's not a judgment on you personally. It's a judgment on what is working right now. Where do we go right now? If I'm an agent, right? Yeah, I came into this job to take a chance and find an undiscovered genius, but I don't get paid unless I find someone who's marketable. And and, do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So... (laughs) So there's so much more at play. So judging the the creative um, value of something against someone who has a, a, a you know a job and and it's part of a commercial machine it doesn't make sense. It's like asking my five year old to make Sunday dinner. I mean, you know, he knows where the fish fingers are, but he's not going to be able to. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, hope you're not dissing fish fingers for Sunday. I, I had them last <laughs> night. Fish finger sandwich, mate. It's the, it's the food of champions. Yeah. And I, I think it's possible for creative people to kind of lose that perspective. And, you know, we talked about who you're writing for. For somebody who is writing for themselves and they decide that they want to, you know, pursue a traditional publishing, you know, I see people getting knocked back. And what I try to say to them is, you know, the agent is going to ask you to make changes to your book. So publisher will be interested and the publisher will ask you to make changes to your book so the public is interested and i think that mind shift from this is a a passion project yes this is something marketable that needs to sell um i find i find that shift really really interesting personally i'm still not there (laughs) yeah and and that it's frustrating for us because what you feel is your passion actually made a mark on my life. And we are very different people. So what, what you feel is I'm writing for me and, and what it became, the, what it grew into, the story it became from me, because I'm looking at it through my lens, which is different to your lens. I never would have had if you hadn't have done that. So I, I, I'm always going to, uh, I'm always going to encourage people to publish in whichever way to get it out there because your story is so many other people's story, but they're not, they've not got to the point where they can talk about it or ask questions about it. And they may never, and your book, your story might be the one thing that gives someone that, that element of agency. So actually it's really selfish, not sharing it, but, but also it's a bit like having a baby when you, <laughs> when you have a baby, you go to all these classes, right? Beforehand, especially when it's your first one, you get all excited having a baby and you talk about it and you talk through different things. There's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff, right? And then the moment when I did this, my, the, the moment I had my baby, literally, I had Trinity at home. And I, re, I remember the midwives were like packing up. And I literally said, so what happens now? Do you take her with you to the hospital? Or, And the midwife went, no, she's yours. She stays with you. And I said, but what do I do with her? And she said, feed her, hood her, hug her. I mean, this is it, Jazz. This is it. And I literally, I spent so much time in the creation and the prep and the organ that when it happened, I literally hadn't given a thought to what I was going to do with this, you know, me as a mom. I hadn't envisaged that. So, and obviously when you have a baby, there's not much choice. You can't go, yeah, I've changed my mind. <laughs> you just get on with it. So I had to, my new identity my identity changed. My new identity became Trinity, Trinity's mum and and a woman with a baby. And and I built something around that. It, it's a bit like that with the book. You you literally, it's like a baby. I mean, you literally work hard, give birth, prep, do it all, and then you give it to someone and somebody says, your baby is fat and ugly and looks like a football. <laughs> and yes, of course you want to go in. No one ever said that, by the way. Trinity is beautiful. But you, <laughs> of course you want to 
go and lock yourself away. Because you just like, this thing just came out of you yeah. and somebody's telling you that it is absolutely hideous. Of course you want to lock yourself in a room. It is. You know, the struggle is real. I mean, I could probably quote you word for word my one-star reviews. My five-star reviews, <laughs> which thankfully there are more of, um, yeah, I, I probably couldn't couldn't even quote a sentence. But that, but that, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're undermining your own influence because your one star reviews are like Velcro; they yes. stick to your brain. Whereas the five star reviews could be Velcro, but we dismiss them because our inner voice. When someone says something good, we go back to, "Oh no, it's only Primark," or "Don't do this." I mean, this sounds so true. But you know, when I said at the beginning, I look in the mirror. I used to practice looking in the mirror and saying to people, thank you, and saying to myself, thank you. Because if you don't craft a way, this is what I mean about worrying about if you fail, but not future-proofing yourself against future writing. If you don't have a way of being able to notice and describe without adding any judgment to your reviews, they are going to own you. And and what what the world loses is, is your words in our lives. So just be aware that this isn't a self-indulgent, oh, I'm not good enough, so I'm not going to write. You're actually stealing the opportunity for people to grow yes. <laughs> because yes. you're not. Sure. I mean, and, and for me, when I put it in that, it's attaching what you do to why you're doing it. Like everything on your to-do list has to be attached to something on your to-be list. Because if if it's just, a, oh, I, I've got a right, it's not very, oh, no, you're very disciplined. But I, I always envy that about you. I don't. I can't just, you know, I struggle to just sit down and do something because all the voices of how terrible I am come into it. But I'm I'm going to write because when I do, this is what could potentially happen. People could read that and feel differently. I'm, that's that's a no brainer for me. And that's interesting. And I, I think I'll use that message um, because I meet a lot of what we call one day novelists, right. and they ask what you do, and I say, you know, I'm a writer. The next question is, what is it you write? And I say, you know, romance novels, whatever, and. They all say, one day, I'd like to write a ah. novel. <laughs> and I, I normally look at them and say, have you tried National Novel Writing Month? Because you write a novel in one month. And they look yeah, terrified. Yeah. And it's like, nobody needs to see it. It's just, yeah. if you want to say, one day, I'd like to write a novel, write it. No one's waiting for it. Mm. You can take as long as you want, and then it's done. But I, and I also, wonder what stops those people. I don't know if they're just making excuses. I haven't got time. I need to do this. You know, um, I have to do X, Y, and Z before I can sit down at a table. Well, it's, it's identity is a choice. I'm a writer. Um, belonging requires agreement from the people you say you belong to. So if I say I'm a writer and then the National Writers Guild say, oh, no, girl, you are not describing yourself. So then I can identify as it if I like, but the lack of belonging will always be something that will hover over me. So when people say one day I'd write, like to write a book, what they're actually saying is I am not a writer. That sounds fantastic. I feel like I have a story in me, but as up to this moment, I have not yet been brave enough to even consider putting that down. But the the, the truth of what I want to write and who I am keeps coming out. It, it's like these flashes of like, oh my gosh, one day I'll write a book. One day I, I have this but I'm not brave enough. And I think, oh, that's really important because the moment we put it on, I don't have time, um, I, my job doesn't allow for it, um, I'm going to be rubbish anyway, all this external loci of control, we're actually eroding our own creativity, our own our own like 
you know, ability to be fulfilled. And and also we set these upper limits of success around identity. Like we, you only, you only achieve what you believe you can, you deserve. So we're telling ourselves are not good enough. And for every time you say that, there's got to be a, a counter, you know, I, I say I'm not good enough, or should I say up until now, I haven't been good enough for this, but from now on I will, because every time you say it, it's another brick in the wall of closing down the creativity. So, so that upper limit is I could only ever achieve this. You get this a lot. People describe themselves as, oh, I'm just a, they put the limiter just before what they do so that they can belittle themselves either so you don't do it first or because uh, they, they don't want to imagine that they could be anything more. And so that idea, it's not, it's not, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, it's raining. I, I, I'm not brave enough. That's the story. And while and, and a lot of things come back down to letting fear drive your bus, letting fear be in control of your decision making and drive. And and it's not a bad thing, it just is. But owning it means that when you're ready to write that book, when that one day comes, when you sit down, the transition between not being a writer and being a writer will be easier, smoother, and more fulfilling and will become a way of being because you didn't lie to yourself all those years. That's, it sounds a bit harsh. No, no, no. It sounds a bit harsh. I think it's, you know, powerful stuff. And I did, Wait, I, I did have a bit of a, say, an argument. <laughs> I was, I was, I was uh, running a writer's retreat, and there was a writer there, and she'd written a big chunk of her novel, but then she kept saying, she kept interrupting me, and I was talking about, you know, I get up at six thirty in the morning, I write for four hours, then I have the rest of my day, and she sort of waved me away, and she's like, oh, you know, um, I, I can't do that, I don't have time to write anymore. I said, okay, like, do you go on social media? Yes. Do you watch TV? Yes. Do you read books? Yes. Do you read newspapers? Yes. And I was going through all of the things that I felt mm. she could, if she sacrificed those things, she would have writing time. You know, you hear, a you, I hear all the time about, you know, women who've just had a baby and they're freaking out. They have 10 minutes here and 15 minutes there. They've been able to write a novel. And I... Mm. I was starting to get like really irritated by her because I, from what she'd said, I knew her novel was really good and it had lots of promise. And my frustration was I felt like she was hobbling herself from finishing it mm, yeah. and using all of these other excuses. What, how do you, what kind of mechanisms do you use to kind of keep going? Cause I read, you know, the manuscript for your latest book, and it's incredibly powerful, but also it's a big chunk of work as well. I think having to engage with something that personal, how do you basically keep at it? it well, it's never about time. That, that's that's a, a barrier we always put up. It's always about truth. It's never about time because it, we've got exactly the same time as everybody else has got. <laughs> and, and so in the time that I was writing my book, you know, like the last Marvel Cinematic Universe film was conceived, written, filmed, edited, and released. So it's not about time because <laughs> I could have had time to do that. But I think I think the thing is, it's it's seeing things in um, in silos. What there's, I have different gears that I'm in, and my I'm addicted to multitasking. My multitasking gear, where I'm constantly doing lots because I feel like I'm busy and I'm getting loads of stuff done. But it's a fallacy. Because when I'm multitasking, I've got the same amount of energy as if I sit down and focus. But when I'm multitasking, the energy goes off in lots of different directions, but not very far. When I focus, 
the energy goes in one direction and it goes a long way. So even if all I do is focus for six minutes, I can get a lot done in six minutes. <laughs> like if you look at, I, I was never really into meditation. I went to this, I was at a conference speaking and I always stick around afterwards and there was a, a thing, of, it was called, do we really need to sit still? Okay. It's a workshop. And I'm like, no, of course we don't. I love it. They're asking the question going, this is ridiculous. So I went along and actually it was a bad title because the answer was yes. <laughs> so it wasn't for radicals like me who said, let's never be quiet, you know. And it was a meditation. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. She goes, what we're going to do is we're going to sit still for one minute. And I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't got time for this. It's like, so just sit still, close your eyes. And we sat still for a minute. I opened my eyes a different person. Really? I did not believe it had only been a minute. I was like, are you what? That, that, it went like seconds. And she said, no, that's just a minute. I felt different. It was incredible. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, if that's what you can do in a minute of time, a total reset, a total reframe. Why am I so addicted all the time to multitasking? Because actually, if I collected space rather than more jobs, then in that space, I could have a shift. So I, I use Pomodoro. I set a timer. I, I say, right, seven minutes. We're just going to do this for seven minutes. Because if you can't find seven minutes to do something for yourself that you have got, a, there's, you need to talk to someone. If you haven't got seven <laughs> minutes in the day, that's the length of a long poo for crying out loud. You must be able to find seven minutes do it on the toilet I mean you know I just I, I have three children I run a business I have a husband I like to see now and again I have a very full life I can find time I can find time and, and it is about um it is about seeing in chunks like what can I do right now what can I do right now because that on another time another time chunk I can order things in a different order but all I'm doing vomit copy getting it down putting it there that's all and what I say to myself is that's all you need to do that's your job right now it's not you know done is better than perfect just get it down at another time another day we will come back and we will finesse but right now splurge and it gives me freedom it gives me I give myself permission to do that for seven minutes I, I, I did I, I also see a lot about about guilt okay so mm. there's you know a school of thought that you know to be a good writer you need to write every day and I've seen like T-shirts and mugs with "You should be writing" written on them. And I saw in one of your um, your YouTube videos, you talked about using the word "should" and how damaging it can be. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, with that that thing of um, <laughs> like to be a, not to be a good writer, you should write. To be a better writer, you could you you need to write more. Like to be a bit a better wrestler, you need to wrestle more. To be a better runner, you need to run more. I want arms like Michelle Obama. I have tried for the past four years, sitting on the sofa, watching videos of Michelle Obama with my fingers crossed. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, that's guaranteed evidence and data for you. So there's this thing of, the, the word should though, is, is a, <laughs> it kind of, it's, it's a, it, steals, it steals life from you. So every year in, at New Year, I make my New Year revolution, as I, my youngest calls right. it. And what I do is I, I give up using certain words. Because I read that um, in sometime in history that you used poor people used to sell words to rich people so, to get money. So they'd sell, so rich people come into market and go, oh, I, I would like to buy the word whatever dog or whatever, and then they you give them money, and then if anyone hears you saying that word, the rich person can beat you up. So I'm like, hmm, <laughs> one quite a nice way to make money, just move to a different part of town and keep saying dog, 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 dog. Second of all, um, are there any words that I don't want? to use anymore because if your your thoughts become feelings and your feelings become beliefs and your beliefs become words and your words 
become actions and that becomes a habit and that becomes who you are rather than undoing who I am. Let's go back to thoughts, get rid of the ones I don't want, feelings, the, the words. So I, so I landed on words. So I, I give up words. And one of the first words I gave up was should, because I would say things like, I should eat better. I should write more. I should stop shouting at my kids when they use the cat as a set of bagpipes. You know, I, I was, and the, the should element, <laughs> that was actually me, not the kids. <laughs> No, I didn't. I've never used a cat as a set of bagpipes. And, it was and a the dog. Should element made, it was the dog, yeah. <laughs> Fleming Labrador, he doesn't like it. So so the, the should element implies shame. You you can't no one no one changed because of shame. No one no one grew from starting from shame. As my nan used to say, you can't grow trees from shame seeds. So the should element is like, ah, yeah, you should, but you're not. And that means you're not good enough, which feeds back into that well-worn path. Of, I'm not good enough. So I swapped the word should for would like to. And I every time I came up with should, I so I would say, I sh- 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 would like to eat healthier. Would I like to eat healthier? I mean, I quite like chocolate. I'd like the benefits of eating healthier. I would like to work out more. Oh, gosh, so I don't want to work. Well, no, I do. I do. I want to be a person who wants to work out. I would like to stop shouting at my kids. And do, Well, yeah, of course I would. I would like to write. Yes, of course I would. And, and what I noticed was in the absence of goal setting or committing or making a promise, which I'm also quite big on, the intention, the intention is the thing that drove me. Okay. And I started eating better and I started working out and I started writing and I stopped shouting at my kids so much because I said I would like to. And we're back to identity. We grow into what we think we can do, what we say we are. And the more times we say we're not and the more times we tell ourselves we're terrible, we just get further away from it. And and the thing about guilt is there's always a choice between guilt and gratitude when someone else convicts you. If you feel bad about something, if you should be writing and you you aren't, you know, the choice is, the 2G choices. You can choose to feel guilty. That's fine because victimhood is a nice place to holiday. You can't live there, but it's not. I go on, I go on holiday to victimhood. It's lovely. But but that all that requires you to do if you want to feel guilty is just wrap yourself in a sleeping bag and slither onto the floor and feel bad. The other G, gratitude, is is a different driver. When I see someone in the t-shirt says you should be writing, I go, hey, thanks for the reminder and the encouragement. Yeah, I would like to write. I'll do some of that at this time on this date. So I'm I'm turning all of that negativity into a catapult to springboard me to doing what I want to do. But should will just keep you yeah. keep you in prison. Yeah. It'll just keep you locked up. There was something I wanted to, to come back to that, that you'd said earlier and you made the comment about it's not about if you fail, it's about when. So you know you've you've done your thing. You say you're traditionally published, right? Um, You've put all this time and passion into your work. You've managed to get an agent. You've managed to get a publisher and a publishing deal. Uh, You've had your book launch, and then the reviews come in and they're terrible, and your book sales aren't anything like you thought they would be. How can somebody try and navigate through that? Well, first of all, that's not a full stop. It's not even a semicolon. It's part of the journey. So if you've done all that and got an agent being published, I mean, that's like, it's like when you're driving down the road and all the traffic lights are green. It's rare. But when it happens, you're like, oh, yeah, baby, check me out. Not that this <laughs> it's just happened. But we want, it, we want to feel good about it. We want someone to see it. If you've got that far and your first, like, negative or failure is... Um, no one's buying and selling the book. Then the question is, the thing isn't, oh my gosh, I'm terrible and it's often all this past evidence and data is wrong. The question is, so how do I pivot? 
because there's I, I feel like there are there's two things going on at any time there's there's evidence and data and there's your own thoughts and feelings and evidence and data is is the fact that you got published and you did this and this happened this I mean your own thoughts and feelings is I'm not good enough now if we transfer that to a murder like um I don't know, trial and and we say okay so we've got CCTV evidence we've got DNA we've got the murder weapon the murderer confessed I was there I saw it that's the the evidence and data but the thoughts and feeling is Maureen from accounting who says she always thought Bob was dodgy. Which one's going to get as a conviction, do you think, <laughs> out of those two? We, sometimes we ignore the wealth of evidence and data. Now, if all these people have said yes, and then you come to your first failure, that's amazing that that's the first time it happened. Usually it happens way before that. But at that point, it's time to pivot. And there, are, there I, for me, there are always three ways, three things I do, three R's of reinvention. I'm always kind of changing up what I've done and the first one is I take responsibility for what I'm responsible for and nothing else so I don't worry about what if people don't like it what if people don't think it's good what if people, that they'll some people will feel that there's no point in if it's when well, let's how do I find the ones that do where are they where are the people who like me are going to read this and go oh yes that's my that's my home this is this is it where are those people the second thing is I reach out. I don't like just sit on my own telling myself I'm awful. I constantly, I go on a mission of asking questions. So I go to people and go, hey, can you, I know, I know that you're for me. So because I can trust you and you're for me, can you read this and give me two things that you think are even better if, EBI, I call it. What went well, WWW, even better if, EBI. Give me two EBIs for every one, what went well. Okay. So if you're going to say something went well, that's great, but give me two things that I could improve and then go, in your opinion. And I always preface with, from what you think, because people don't want to hurt you. Yes. The last, last R is to reframe. And the reframing is, this is the essence of resilience. Reframing is the time it takes you from being in a hole to get back out again. Now, for some people, that can be years. It used to be years for me. Then it was months, then it was weeks, then it was days, then it was hours. I can do it in minutes. I'm going for seconds. But it's the the time it takes you to get back up and go, right, okay, so that didn't work. So let's take a minute. Let's have a little cry if we need it. Let's breathe. Let's go on a little pack our suitcase and go and visit victimhood for a few minutes. Let's come back from victimhood. So what does it look like now? What would it look like if I could have more sales? What would I be doing? If if I'm a best-selling author in the future and I'm on the New York Times bestseller list, what will I say I did at this moment? And and that takes an enormous amount of, of focus and energy. And if you're spending that focus and energy on investing in the I'm terrible, my book's terrible, I'll never be a writer. I, I think, is it Peter Kay said once when his kid was learning to walk, he said, it's like when a child gets up and takes their first steps and everyone claps and goes, yeah, well done. He takes a couple of steps and falls and nobody says, give it up, son, you'll never be a walker. <laughs> They're like, come on, yeah, you did two steps, yeah. But at some point in our life, we start holding ourselves to such a ridiculously high standard that if we did that to any, you wouldn't do that. You The way you talk to yourself, the people who genuinely hate you wouldn't say those things about you. You know, so so using a failure as a as a means to berate yourself that that it is is a it's it's like self harming. It's 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 it can be an addiction. It can be something that is habitual, and it is something that can change. Habits can change, but it's it's. I, I don't know that you do that on your own. I don't know that you do that without other people drawing them in. Yeah, I mean, I have an example of that. So my first book, twenty eleven, came out. It sold something ridiculous, like 
11,000 copies. But I got really lucky. I didn't do any marketing. It was a chance conversation with somebody. Uh, the book, they suggested I enter the book into this prize. It was one of 10 books long listed for the prize. It didn't win, but I got so much um Mm-hmm. I want to call it column inches. I guess it's screen inches nowadays, but um, for the book, and it sold amazingly. Okay, um, the next book about four thousand. My latest book, which I think is the best book I've ever written, okay, um, came out last July. <clears throat> the last time I checked, it sold forty-three copies. Okay, mm-hmm. so in my head, like I'm a failure, I'm a failure. If I'm really honest, I think I was expecting it all to be word of mouth. The people who did, those 43 people who read it would go and tell all of their friends. And they didn't. So I, I was, you know, doing my marketing and stuff on Instagram. And somebody contacted me and they said, look, it's all very nice doing these cute little animations and putting them on your account that like 100 people follow." that's not going to get you anywhere. So, you know, he gave me a bit of a, like a stern talking to. Yeah. I was just like, I was kind of resistant to it, to be fair. And then I went away and I thought about it. And I thought, okay, you know, guy's got a point. So I still wasn't in a position to throw a load of money behind marketing. But what I did do is I went and wrote to 53 um, different romance uh, bloggers, and said, you know, if I send you a copy of my book, will you review it? And most of them came back and said yes. So, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, because they've got backlogs. But at some point, even though that book came out last July, they're going to start writing about it. Mm-hmm. And actually, and I've noticed this, sometimes if I, if I get a bad review, sometimes I'll read a review and it's so awful. I'm like, I'm going to go and take a look at that book, because it can't be that bad. I can't remember the name of it, but somebody wrote a romance novel about the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And it is literally about a woman who falls in love with the coronavirus and they have a lot of hot sex. And I read the reviews and they are overwhelmingly awful, but I'm kind of, I'm going to get it. It's like, I want to read it. It sounds sounds fabulous. So, well, yeah. I see. I see what you're saying, and I think I, I was my publisher. The criticism that they had of me is, you know, most people write the book and then get, you know, they they struggle to do the marketing because it's this whole eternal language. What you've done is you've marketed and you haven't finished writing. <laughs> it's, and it's and I think marketing in its itself is a whole thing. This is like one of my most passionate areas because it's about. There's two ways to market. There's broadcast marketing which is very 1950s TV advert. We just get in front of people and start shouting about it. Um, and then there's organic relational marketing where you meet people where they are and you don't mention your product until you're a bit way into that relationship. Think of it of going to a club, yeah? You go to a club. You could be the best-looking, most attractive guy in, in the club. But if you come up to me and say, will you marry me? I'd be like, no, you weirdo. I don't know you. Of course I'm going to marry you. But if, if we have a dance and a drink and we go for a couple of dates and we meet each other's families and then in a couple of years you say, will you marry me? I'm probably going to say yes. You know, so it's this idea of how do you nurture it? Imagine being down the pub and it's like you're with all your mates and Dave's talking about the fact that he's 
thinking about getting married and, you know, he's thinking about kind of asking his boyfriend to marry him and, and, and Sue is talking about, you know, the baby she's just had and, and Samir's going on about his shop that he wants to open and you go, oh, I've written a book and everyone goes, wow, no way, Stuart, that's so cool. Then you go next week for drinks and people are talking about different things and the marriage has moved on a bit and the shop and you go, I've written a book. And we're like, yeah, great. Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> and then the next week, you know, there's like Samir's had this problem somewhere else and he's talking about that and somebody's won the lottery and so on. And you go, I've written. And they're like, oh, for goodness sake, <laughs> because all you're doing is turning up. Even if you're doing it with little animations and stuff, you're just saying the same thing again and again. And more or less, people are just like, I, I don't think Stu's got anything else going on. I don't think he, he's not interested in what we're doing. He, he's not talking about anything but what he's just done. And that's your group. Whereas out there, there are people that know nothing about it and, and might be interested. So the whole thing about organic relational marketing for me is if I've written a, if I'd written a, a fiction Especially if your, if I was writing to your caliber, <laughs> the whole world would know. I would not have a problem if I could write like that. But, uh, but um, the, the thing is to say, what I do, I would use not not trying to magnify that book, but doing what you're doing, talking about, hey, have you? Do you have all these issues with being a writer? Do you have these problems? Do you think there's a book in you? I felt that too. So you're actually doing the hero's journey for people. So you're saying, do you have all this? You're worried about this. You're, I felt that too. So you're establishing yourself as the guide, not the hero. What I did was this, and here's where I failed. Now you're putting a plan together for them. But actually, it came good, and I've published this book. And if this is something that you would like to do as well, here's my list of 10 things that you should do if you think if you want to write, but you think you're not a writer. Click here to download it. So they click, they put their email address in, they download it. They're like, oh, my gosh, how good is this guy? He's given me, this is for strangers, obviously not for friends. He's given me this amazing thing. So you download it. Then that triggers a series of emails which say, hey, here's step one. Here's some more info about that. Here's some more info. By the fourth email, you're like, do you know what? My book is out. And all of these things that I've been telling you, I've put into practice for this book. If you want to read it, you can order it here. And then you do another four emails. and then another. So what you're doing is you're giving meeting people where they are, giving, 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 and then inviting them and giving them invitation. That's one way as opposed to just telling the same friends about it all the time. That There's something around marketing that is a whole it, – it's a bit like fashion. People think if they go down Primark and buy a pair of leggings that suddenly they could hit the Paris catwalks. It, no, it's not. that's not how it works. You know, there's so much more to it. And marketing is the same thing. It's not – marketing isn't repeatedly telling your mates or or – or even buying Facebook ads. Marketing is about meeting people where they are and being Marmite or, a, or some other well-known yeast extract because <laughs> other well, yeast extracts are available. <laughs> but but you, you literally want to turn people off because they're not your people. Like for every person that right. says to me, I hate what you've written or I hate your talk, I'm like, thank you so much because we, I don't want to work with you, do I? I don't want to because you'll be miserable and I'll be miserable. So let's not do it. In fact, some of my marketing for the stuff I, for the stuff I write is um, if you don't, don't, don't download this if you're not brave enough, you're not at this stage, because you will be miserable and you will hate it. Don't join my my mentor group if you because you will be it will be awful for you. And it, and I'm I'm cool with that. I, I want to be Marmite. So so what we're trying to do is is filter the people who will sing and also ask them to. Like, ask them, would you, like, what you did, writing to me and saying, would you review this book? Fantastic. Now, in the meantime, because don't forget they're getting books every day, what I would do is. I don't know, get some chewing gum and make a new wrapper that says, you know, Stu's new book, chew it over and send that to them. <laughs> or you, you just do something that meets them where they are. Do something that adds value, brings joy, adds a smile. Stop thinking that you're, you in your room is the entire world. You and your computer in your room is, is, what, is all of your world, but only one part of other people's. 
So, so go beyond the fear and connect because that is what makes pe- people buy, people invest their time of reading, their, 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 their energy, not just their money, when they feel invested in, you know? Yeah, that, but most, yeah. that's yeah. a really good, good point, actually, because I, I think, you know, I mean, certainly for, for a writer like me, because I do self-publish, by the time, okay, right, so, so, uh, my book came out in July. Um, I'd spent four years on and off. The last month I was doing 16-hour days to get it ready for the end of July. Got to the end of July and I was like, I have to get it out. Um, and it might be like, I don't know, it might be how mums feel like when they're pregnant. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I've spent nine <laughs> months doing this enough, okay? Um I just wanted to get it out. What I didn't want to do is stand back and think, okay, right, so it'll come out in two months and this is my marketing plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess some of it is about, you know, reining yourself back in and trying to think a little bit more like um, a business person. Not, not so much a business, a relational connecting person because the thing is it, you've done the whole thing that I did having trinity you did all this prep to I just want to get it out you gave no thought to what the baby's going to f- wear or ride in or 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 drink <laughs> once it was here <laughs> it's like this what it's not a surprise that you're going to have a book it's not a surprise you, you've been working to it for 4 years when it comes it's it's the it's it's not i think people have this thing where they say I'm not a marketer or I don't want to do sales and f- sound sleazy yeah. But it's not sales. It's an invitation for people to have some magic in their lives. It's not a sale. It's like I can, and also if you've got any, if you think you've got any control over what people do with their money, I'll choose what I spend my money on. But on on, on your book, I follow you on social media. We're friends. When your first book came out, and your second book, you sent me a message saying my book is out. Will you read it and buy it? And I went, yeah, and I did it. You didn't ask me this time. I didn't know that that book was there. I had to go looking for that. And I am your friend, for crying out loud. Do you see what I mean? So you're, you're a, whatever prep you should be marking is not good. I'm telling you that now. Because so, so, I'm, I'm literally queuing at the door with my money in my hand waiting, and I didn't get what I didn't know. Do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it's not about... Um, it's not about saying, I've got to do this big launch plan. And actually, and I, you know, I've got a, a, it's not even a plan. It's just this 20 days before I want to open my cart for this course or for this book. This is what I say on social media. This is what I do. This, and it's not buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. It's little things that I put in. Sometimes I put a thing up saying, something exciting is coming soon. I want to tell you about it, but I've promised myself until I get to this point, I won't, but stay tuned. Just something yeah. as little as that. The people who are already excited by my previous work go, oh, like meerkats popping up. What is it? What is it? Don't need to tell them anymore. And then a couple of days later, so I've actually got a plan. I'll send it to you. And what you perhaps look at it and adapt it for what it would look like for writers. But it's all about engagement. It's not about selling. Marketing is about engagement. It's about coming alongside. Some people in their marketing do things to others. They say, buy my yes. book, buy my book, buy my book. Some people do things for others where they, they say, okay, I've written this for you because I think this will be good for you. Now, the really successful people do things with others. There is a withness. So in the run-up to that story coming out, they're saying, I know what it feels like to feel like this. That's why I wrote this book. Okay. You are someone who feels you've got more potential than you are unleashed. You are someone who started doing a job and now it's got you. You speak into people's pain and you go, 
that that's Mark in my book. I can, you know, that's why I'm so I'm so pleased that I wrote this book because Mark is literally an embodiment of all that way of feeling. I'm really going, who is Mark? I am Mark. Where is the book? <laughs> so by the time you drop it and go, hey, if anyone wants to read my book, people are already ready. Yeah. People already want that. Do you, you know? How, see, I think self-promotion as a British person okay, <laughs> is quite yeah. frowned upon. I think British people don't like that and I, I think what you've just said is there's a way of doing it without being kind of totally obvious i'm not saying it's stealthy or um dishonest <laughs> like to, to to mark it that way but i think it has changed and you were saying in the 50s yeah. like klaxons you know by tide or whatever and yeah i think people are looking for that i don't want to say the tribe it's no look, especially after pandemic, right? Post pandemic way of being, because I, I agree with you about the whole British thing. Uh, that is a really, um, that's part of it. That is part of it. But um, this is the problem with people in general and British people in particular being British. I'm speaking about myself here. That we want things to be better, but we're scared of change, and that's the crux. We want things to improve, but we're terrified of things being different. Now, post pandemic, where there's been a cultural earthquake, right? It, it's like in an earthquake that the land, like my, my nan used to have a friend called Ethel who lived in London during the Blitz. And she talked about coming out from a tube station and going home, but being really disorientated because streets had been leveled. So like after, an, you, you can have a map to get you around, but after an earthquake, a map is useless. What you need is a compass. A compass will show you where your true north is. And we are coming out of a season of everyone being different like I've had three kids every maternity leave I have to reinvent my identity and find a new way of belonging and we've all done that we've all had extended maternity leave and no one not many of us actually got a baby at the end of it we just got, <laughs> you know we came out when what was that for results so, so um, yeah we've a lot of us have gone through loss a lot of us have had to navigate real pain and trauma but what we do get to do is we get to choose how we frame that story and what we write about that we I, I keep talking about how we've all become generation C and the C doesn't stand for COVID. It stands for courage, creativity and change. So for me, I feel like the value of our, our system, what we value has been upturned. And from now on, post-pandemic, a way of being for post-pandemic isn't, um, well, you're valuable if you do this and you're certain and you lead in this old way and you just say, this is what I do. And you Actually, being able to get alongside people, do belonging, meet people where they are, that is going to be a critical skill and the agile will inherit the earth and the people who can't do that, who previously might have been successful in business or whatever, will find themselves stuck because if you can't, it's no longer enough. If you look at, just look at this, the, the sort of economics of our society, there's a company in America called Tom Shoes and every time you buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to someone who hasn't got shoes. Okay. Um, companies more, more and more now are doing something where they're in alignment. Like that, I'm governor at a school and I was working with the school. They wanted to set up a breakfast club and they didn't have any money. And I'm like, so go approach all the businesses, get a calendar up on your website, go to the local businesses and say, who, um, just, just checking who doesn't want to be on the calendar of being the business that pays for toast that day for our children who are aged five to seven. Who doesn't want to be on that calendar? 
did they have more people than a Yes, they did. <laughs> because paying for toast for a group of kids isn't a lot of money. And you do not want to be the business who isn't on that. So there, there's something a minute where businesses, and businesses actually have things, what's it called? A corporate social responsibility. Yes. CSR. But they have people responsible for how do we do alongsideness? So actually, what we're moving towards is a place where you don't have you can't indulge in imposter syndrome when people and businesses and other people are looking for connectivity because you, you it, it is it is actually turning on its head it's you being selfish rather than sharing what you have with the people that really want it and need it and I, I don't want to think it's like I'm talking about I think some people say yeah but how is a fiction book going to change people's lives are you kidding me are you are you mad of course it does of course it does, because that magic if, that way of living a story without living it, is literally what changes things. I, I read The Turbulent Termotype Tyler by Gene Kemp when I was maybe 10 years old. That book changed my I've still got the actual copy I read. Really? That book changed my life. That was a kid's book. It was a, I, don't want to, I always want people to read it, so I don't want to spoil <clears throat> What's it. What's it called again? But it's The Turbulent Term of Tyke Tyler. Okay. It is one of... The, it's a book that I read at 10. I read it, I've read it a lot since. I read it to my children when they were seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I, I read it sometimes because it's like a you know day and a half read for me. I just read it through. It, <laughs> books, I, and I tell my kids, I've always told my kids about the storybooks we have. Books are your friends, only they will never let you down. And my children are readers, are story devourers because they, it gives them a space to, to make sense of the world in a way that you can't do outside of a story. So the new world, the post-pandemic world, the, the only people that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have empathy for, but I'm going to be disappointed in are the people that say during their story is during the pandemic, I did a lot of Zooms in my pants, drank gin every day at two o'clock. And I, I just sat waiting for things to go back to normal. I mean, we're not going back to normal. We're going forward to something new and different. And if you don't seize the opportunity, if you don't navigate that, if you don't just get curious about how that could look in your mindset, in your way of being around writing, around creating, around serving, around gifting, and you insist on sticking with that, I'm not good enough and I don't want to upset anyone by saying, would you like to join my world? It, before that might have washed, yeah. but I just, I just, it just feels like you're on the wrong side of history yeah. if we go 40 years in the future and look back and say i had this gift and i kept it to myself at a time when people were suffering i i don't know how you're going to level with that so for me i'm always wanting to be authentic and vulnerable that's my commitment i'm very clear on what my values are i know that there are people that will value what i do and it will work and other people won't and that's fine it doesn't stop it's gotten better you need to get lots of no's and lots of negativity for it to for it to you know not stop you Still, but the first time someone said they didn't like you know, what I'd done, I, I stopped. I'd done a talk. It was one person out of 200. Um, and I didn't, I cancelled all my talks for the next two weeks. Really? cancelled all my keynotes. Yeah. I, I sat home and cried and thought, I'm terrible. And I look at it now and think, that one guy who was sat on the front row and was his, his physicality was very angry. And he'd said, he'd said a comment like, I'm not here to to um, love children. I'm not even here to like them. I'm here to teach. And everyone behind him had like hackled. So even though he's di diametrically opposed to what I think and feel, what I say and do, he's not my people. He's not the, the intended audience. He's not who it's for. I let him live rent-free in my head for two weeks and stop me from connecting with people mm. who I could have helped level up. Well, I was, uh... And I, d I, d I don't want that. Yeah. I, I, I would 
a writer said something really interesting to me. We were um, talking about themes and stuff in books, and I guess this ties into you know a lot of the core um, values that you have in the talks that you do. And she was saying, you know, I was talking about you know bad reviews and stuff, and she just kind of shrugged and she said, "Well, they weren't ready to receive it." It's not, yeah, it's not the time. What was that? Although I want to, I want to be honest about it. That when I started writing my book, it was um, the publisher said you can write what you like, which was too much freedom for me. So I started writing. It very quickly turned into a, a kind of more of an autobiography and a big story. Um, and actually, for lots of different reasons, that's not the book I want to give them. And I, I contacted them and said, what I want to do is, I wasn't ready at the time. I wasn't ready. Um, what I want to do is, I want to write a book that is that is for educators and, and influencers in children's lives. And it's got things like the power of language, the power of belonging, the power of identity. And I want to vibe on those things. Now, what I was doing before was just talking about how good it is when people do this. But also in my experience, I want to make people aware of the cost when they don't. But I wasn't brave enough to talk about the negativity. I only wanted to be positive. But in my in my experience, in my story, I had 100 teachers between nursery and university and five of them were everyday heroes. So I lent into the five, but 95 weren't. And of those 95, some of them made it worse. And so it's gotten to the point now where I feel comfortable, brave enough to, to, to write a book, the book I wanted to write, which has this is great and this is what happened and this is good and this is what didn't help. And now you choose. And and it's it, that's that's quite because for, you know I just want to be liked. I just want to fit in. I want everyone to say you're lovely, and I don't want anyone to say anything horrible to me ever. But um, back in the real world, <laughs> but I also <laughs> want to have an impact, and that means that. So and I know that there'll be some people that say, well, that actually that's not true. I don't know that there are because the more that I've shown up, the more that I've been honest, the more that I've done what I described, met people where they are. People just look, when I produce something, people buy it. They just love it. Not because I've said buy it, buy it, buy it, but because I've become someone they like, they know, they trust, that they're, I've become a friend. That's powerful stuff. Mm. So what final kind of piece of advice would you give for, um, you know, any writer who's feeling kind of discouraged? part of the journey part of the story you get to tell is how you pushed through and how you overcame and every film that we go see has is written to the hero's journey it has a character that struggles meets someone else who's a guide gives them a way of succeeding they try fail try fail try fail have a breakthrough and everything works out great in the end. <laughs> <It's everywhere. laughs> if we went to see a movie, you know, if we went to see that Taken with Liam Neeson, yeah. all the tension in that movie, if we went to see the movie and in the first bit they said, we've got your daughter, and he said, oh, okay, it's fine, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll have another daughter. No one's going to see that film. Or if we, if he said, I will hunt you down and get you, and then everything he did worked, he just went down, he phoned up and said, has anyone seen any kidnappers? And they went, yeah, they went in there. And he went, right, and then he went in and he, he was really strong and he, he was really confident and he just got his daughter back. They don't want to go. They don't be going. That's a rubbish film. <laughs> we we want to see. We want to see struggle. You know, I, we want to see overcoming. I think I want to rewrite you know? that, that speech he says to, "I will write you. I will edit yes! you. Do it. Do it. <laughs> and I will publish you. <laughs> and I will publish you. Yes. 
do it. That is the writer's answer phone message. So you should be put. You should record it and then send it out as one of your little freebies that you're going to do to bring people alongside with you for when you publish your next book. Here's if you're a struggling writer. Here's something for you to put on your answer phone. So. It's, it's true, and 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 I think I think it's that thing of I sat in a conference once and there was um there was some guy on the stage talking about having a Fortune 500 country company and how much he gives to charity and he turns over bazillions of pounds and I'm like yeah yeah whatever and I started playing with my phone. And then the next um, couple got up and they talked about how they set up this business from their garage and now it was really big. And I'm like, yada, yada, yada. And he said, and it was really hard because in the first year we drank away all of the profits. And in the second year we drank away everyone's wages. And I was like, oh my God, tell me more. You have been an alcoholic. I said, how have you overcome? What did you do? I would, I would invest in whatever that guy was selling over the other successful guy. Because who do I identify with? identify with the person who's gone through struggle now the thing about being brave and resilient is it sucks while you're doing it so don't expect to be pushing through and feeling great about yourself it's the story you tell afterwards that is a great story so embrace not feeling good enough embrace the struggle embrace wanting to give up note it down and go that's another one for the autobiography that's what's going to make your autobiography a bestseller not i wrote and everyone bought it and then i was famous well i I don't want to see that film i'm not bothered (laughs) So so embrace it. Start thinking about future you rather than present you because future you will look back and go, I was on the floor and I reframed. And that is a powerful story. Sounds fantastic. Thank you, Jazz. It's been a fantastic. Oh, it's so it's good. It's been great to talk to you. So good. I know we've like, covered a lot of stuff and we've been digging around. But, yeah, I think I mean, certainly I feel much better after this conversation. And, you know, I hope those who are, writing and listening will you know feel the same thing um but i do want to talk to you about kind of where people can can find you online yeah well the gift of reality tv is you can type my name into google and you will find me but if you i'm on social media on twitter on instagram on facebook on youtube um on linkedin as well and um my website is just my name so it's jazzandpalfar.com which i'm sure you'll have in the show notes, but yeah, I, and I'm, I, I, I answer everybody who gets in touch. So if anybody, you know, like has a thought or feeling uh, and I encourage people to think, what is it you're going to do more of or less of having heard this? Like, don't, don't be inspired because inspire is a verb, do something, you know, don't, don't be inspired. But, but anyone who gets in touch, I always try and reach out and answer. So just want to encourage you to keep going. Fantastic. So I'll put all of the links to your socials, um, your TED talk, uh, your website i'll put all of those in the production notes or if you're looking on youtube um i'll put those uh in the supplementary information down below uh but yes thank you again it's been an absolute pleasure it's my pleasure and please record that writer's version of liam neeson's answer phone message so i can have it on my mobile well, you've got a deal <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks again take care my pleasure Bye.